1: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah,
2: and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
3: Well, I rounded off yesterday's podcast by appealing to the tennis gods for better tennis today. And it turns out the tennis gods are listeners to the tennis podcast (laughs) because, boy, did they deliver. Day eight has been a corker. David's here. Hello, David. Hello.
4: You're right. It's been great. I've just come back from commentating on the last match of the day with Carlos Alcaraz. And, uh, ooh, that was Mm. something else.
3: Mm, it's the sort of, it's the sort of performance you can only sum up with sort of guttural noises. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure this is <laughs> going to be the best. Listen, Matt's here. We'll rely on Matt to produce eloquent words for things.
2: I will do my best. Yes, it was very cold today at Roland Garros, mm. but the tennis was was super. So it made up for it.
3: Yeah, we've just. Been watching While well, you were commentating, David, we were watching the Prime video French coverage of the evening session. The presenter was wearing a coat and a scarf.
4: Yeah. Mm. I, I was in the press seats for sets one and three because I was only commentating on set two. And by the end, I mean, I was the only one left in the press seats. Nobody else was braving it. Um, but I was wearing a full woolly jumper and my coat. Um, mm. And there was people in front of me in between games dancing up and down just to keep warm, like jogging, like they were jogging on the spot.
2: Wow. Yes, they were handing out blankets to yeah. the spectators throughout the day. Mm. It was that cold.
3: It is, it is scheduled to get warmer from this point onwards, and I think quite substantially warmer. And obviously that's, you know, the conditions are always such a feature of this tournament, and we'll talk about them today. We'll talk about them every day going forward. But obviously that that change is is or certainly could be significant. Let's talk about the tennis today. I, at at around about 5pm this afternoon the news broke that Roger Federer has got a dog yeah and at that moment when when i when i stared when i gazed adoringly for many many minutes as i did at the photo of Roger Federer with with willow i thought there is no possible way that this won't be leading the agenda on tonight's <laughs> tennis podcast i don't i don't care what rafael nadal pulls out of the bag I don't care what kind of shot Carlos Alcaraz produces this evening. I do not care Willow is going to be is going to be what we predominantly talk about.
4: And so it is. <laughs>
3: Do you see what I've done there? Yeah. I'm sort of saying we're not leading with Willow, but we're also a little bit leading with
4: Willow. Mm. Just, Willow's I, great. I just about managed to shoehorn Carlos Alcaraz in there <laughs> mm. by, by virtue of having just come should back. we?
3: Should we just get Willow chat get over it out quickly? Roger Federer's got a dog, for folks. In his own words, he gave in. I mean, I don't know why it's taken this long. But anyway, he's finally seen the light. He's got Willow. He has not declared what, what type of dog Willow is, but I'm going to deploy my best investigative journalism, and I will—I'll bring you the scoop as uh, as soon as we have confirmation. My my diagnosis is that it's a, a cockapoo.
4: Oh, I know I know what it is. Oh, a fluffy one.
3: See done on that.
2: <laughs> well, I was wondering because I mean, presumably, they also have Willows Twin. That's that's how the Federers roll, isn't it? They don't do one of. Oh. One of anything. It, maybe there'll be a tweet tomorrow unveiling Willow's twin.
3: Already pumped.
2: Federer gets
4: room. himself into the blooming conversation, doesn't he? You yeah. know, it's all Alcaraz he and dro- Jochimish dro- commission Natal. He it dro- yeah. in the
3: first set of, of Nadal didn't he Nadal, he
4: knows what he's doing he knows what he's
3: doing it, it, Nadal who famously doesn't like dogs because he quote doesn't trust their intentions
4: <laughs> especially Willow <laughs>
3: <laughs> anyway uh, Willow is a butte. I'm sure you've all all seen Willow on the internet but if you haven't check her out I think I assume it's a she anyway we'll bring you all those all those scoops when we have them David is making faces at me like the listeners have tuned out to move along <laughs> Right then, should we talk about Nadal? Mm. Should we talk about the 13-time Roland Garros champion? Yeah. And what he did today. He won 6-3 in a fifth set over Félix Auger-Aliassime. Four hours and 22 minutes. Hannah, brilliantly on our Twitter today, said, how can something we've seen so many, many, many times still astound? Mm. And that is how I felt watching... What he did out there today Matt and I watched that fifth set together just as we watched the Australian Open final together earlier on this year and it it gave me all the same feelings how how are we watching this and how are we still surprised by it even though all we seem to do is watch astounding things from Rafael Nadal he is he's something else
4: Here's something else. I think just before we get onto that element of it, is also part of the conversation though, the fact that he ended up in that hole in the first place. Because he came out and he had six break points in the first set. He didn't take them. He was miscuing and he didn't look on. Um and then he was two sets to one up. And then he, and I'm assuming he's winning in four. I'd I'd completely written the match off. And that look, that's a that should be a huge credit to Osheli Asim because he didn't go away mentally. He stayed with him. And he actually he kept his game pretty tight. He played really well. But is the headline that Nadal got himself in that position or is it that he dug himself out of it?
2: I think it's that he dug himself out of it. Um, Nadal in his press conference was interesting because he gave what I felt was a very sharp analysis of the match in that he absolutely credited Felix Auger-Aliassime with playing really well. And we should talk about that because he did. He played brilliantly. I thought he had a lot of poise about him. And he, he gave me all the same feelings I had after that match um, against Daniel Medvedev at the Australian Open. It was another big moment that he showed up in and he forced a great player to play great tennis. Um, and he had a really good game plan. His serve was working and his forehand was big and was knocking Nadal back. It was all it was all kind of what you would have wanted to see from Ojealia's seam. And yet at the same time, Nadal put it that when I played my best tennis, I was in control of the match and I was the one determining it. And that's what I felt because we watched that first set together, David, and... Nadal was really bad you know his strike on his forehand was not good and as you said he wasn't winning the big points and he was in trouble I thought okay this is a tough afternoon for Nadal but the sets he did win sets two three and five I thought he was fantastic I thought I thought he really played well when he when he did win the sets you know I thought he found his forehand up the line halfway through the match and started hitting that brilliantly and yeah, I thought he did a lot of things well tonight. It's just he had a bad start and then he had that weird dip in the fourth set where he was in total control of the match and lost his serve from 40 love up. It was it was strange and I do think that is part of the story that he let it go to five sets when it was on his racket there to win it probably in straight sets because his tennis was that good when he was playing well. Mm.
4: And just to say, Catherine, just to answer my second part of my answer to your question is yeah, he is something else because how he gets to three-all in the deciding set and he so often does this and he just finds a way and he, he finds inspiration and he finds heart. They can't live with him. Hardly any of them can live with him in those moments. And mm. uh, and uh, and a quote that he said just on the court at the end when he was asked Alex Correcha was really pushing him about Djokovic and whether it was... What he what he was going to go through his head, and he said, "The one thing I do know is that I will I will fight to the very end." and And that felt really significant to me, you know, because that's him, isn't it? That is that's what sums him up.
3: Yeah, and he he said today is he sort of is repeatedly saying, "Any of these matches here could be my last ever Roland Garros match." He's stepping onto the court with that with dad on his shoulders thinking this could be my last match of this tournament. And I take nothing for granted about whether this will be my last tournament. This was a guy that stared retirement in the face at the end of last year when he was on, on crutches because of that foot. So that's an immense thought, isn't it? That, you know, when, when he's in dark places in these matches, that, that, (laughs) that it could be the end, you know, the end of, the most extraordinary journey. You know, as as he always tells the crowd on Chatrier after his wins, this has been the most important place in my career. Um, and it doesn't really matter what he does anywhere else. He hasn't got time to win 13 anywhere else, not even Nadal. It doesn't matter what happens, that will always be the case. And to think that he's walking out there with the absolutely accurate and realistic, um, Feeling that that it could be the last time is is extraordinary. Really, just the weight of that weight of that emotion, and that is all before we get into the Uncle Tony of it all. (laughs) Now, two days ago, when this this matchup was was set up, that was the angle the journalists wanted, wasn't it? I could hear the chat around the press room before they went into the the Nadal press conference after his previous win. You know, who's going to ask him about Uncle Tony? That's, you know, that's the angle that we want. we want. We want to nibble on Uncle Tony. And Rafa wasn't having any of it, was he? He just said, he's my uncle. He's more than my uncle as well. We share a bond so special, etc. cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter to me where Uncle Tony sits, all of that. Believe him. I believe that is the absolute truth. We discussed what we expected of Uncle Tony two days ago, that he wouldn't sit in either box, that he would sit somewhere else. That all happened. Normal, normal, normal. Did any of us expect that that somewhere else would be front and centre alongside the president of the French Tennis Federation, first and foremost? I mean He was the, cl- certainly he was the
4: closest human being physically in the stadium to Rafael Nadal and Félix Ojealiassime, aside from the ball kids and the line judges. That's how centrally he placed himself on the front row of the stand. I was gobsmacked by that. Same. Because Mm. that was, to my mind, for both players, given what we know is the situation, he's coaching one guy against his nephew, at least on paper. That's what's happening. Now, I kind of assumed, based on talking to you both and what I'd heard, that he was probably going to kind of, you know excuse himself from his role as coach
3: recuse himself
4: recuse himself from 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 his role so and hand that over to frederick fontaine so you you do the coaching this is my nephew i can't tell you how to beat my nephew even though i find all that a bit unsatisfactory on a certain level i if i i keep coming back to the the thought that if i'm felix I'll, i'll always have in my head i wonder what i've left on the table by not knowing what Tony Nadal thinks I should have done to beat his nephew, if if indeed that was the situation. But to, to place yourself visually right in their eyeline, Rafael Nadal very nearly hit him with a smash at one point. Very nearly. Full-blooded smash. Obviously, completely coincidental, accidental, I'm sure. But it, it smashed into the, the backdrop probably about three inches lower than than what would have been required to smack him in the chest. And But every time Nadal would have turned around at that end of the court... He's eyeball to eyeball with his uncle who's coaching the other bloke. And Felix is the same. I mean, it's just... I, I cannot understand. I'd love to know why he did that.
3: A, a bigger deal, in my mind, that for Felix auger scene because Rafael Nadal knew that his uncle Tony wanted him to win today. That That's fine. It's fine that an uncle wanted his nephew to win and that that family, family tie comes comes above any professional coaching relationship that is fine but to position yourself where your your client can see your facial reactions and even if there aren't facial reactions You'd be you can still be looking for them <laughs> yeah, can't? Would, you can yeah. still be sort of distracted by the prospect of them is i, I found it extraordinary and it it got more extraordinary. But anyway, Matt, have, have your say.
2: Well, no, I mean, all I was going to say is I I completely agree. I felt like Tony Nadal would disappear for these two days. And actually what happened, and we'll get onto it now with the interview, is he was more prominent than ever. You know, he had he had real main character syndrome around this whole match. He, he put himself front and centre literally in a way that I just didn't think he would mm. at all. And it created a situation
3: two days ago when adol was asked about it in press basically his line was i get it but it's not the story guys mm. that was his message it's not the story that you think it is it's it's all fine everybody knows the situation and is cool with it but that was before uncle tony sat front and center it was before uncle tony gave interviews both before and after the match, explicitly saying, OK, Felix is my guy that pays me, but I'm supporting Rafa today. I,
4: I can't believe he said that. I, I, I can't believe it.
3: The, the, these were not interviews that he was required to give. You know, this was him being door stopped, I think one of them was was Nelson Monfort. I think his name is. He's a, a French, French, t- French TV yeah. personality. <laughs> Um, you can politely say, look, it's not appropriate for me to comment. He was not required or even cornered into into doing these interviews. I've got,
4: got to say, just from personal experience with Tony Nadal, that element of it actually doesn't surprise me that much because I've interviewed him twice and both times I expected him to say no. One of them was in a rain delay between... During his fi- his nephew's final, Rafael Nadal against Novak Djokovic at the U.S. Open in the final, I think it would have been 2011, 2013. I can't exactly remember the year now, but I didn't even know Tony Nadal at that point. But I, I was sent off with my BBC radio microphone to try to fill the gap in, in, during this rain delay. This is pre-roof, and I saw him, saw Tony Nadal in the the player lounge, and I didn't know him, but I just thought I've got, I've got to try. I've got to try. So I went up to him and I asked him f- f- to speak to me. And I really expected him to say no. And he said, okay. And he spoke to me and he was really open, really honest and really interesting. And it was a great interview for me. I was, it was fabulous. But I just couldn't believe it really that, that I'd, I'd got this. And then we had another one at Queen's a few years later in 2015 when the Dow is in a trough. The Dal was totally short of confidence. We knew that just visually from watching his game and seeing his results. And I asked Tony Nadal for an interview and he told me exactly the same. And he was so candid about Nadal's problems at that time. And again, I just couldn't believe that he was letting me know all this stuff um, to go out in an interview. So probably that element of it, I'm not that surprised by. I just, I'm, and look, it's great in a, on one. It's lovely to have candour in journalism and for fans to know what's going on but in this instance to place yourself there I just I'd love to know why he did that
3: Matt and I noticed that he was seemed curiously absent um throughout the fifth set and then we saw a, a tweet from Mike Dixon of the Daily Mail reporting that he left after set four and got in tournament transportation which in itself is distracting isn't it so his presence is distracting and then his Lack of presence is distracting. I mean he could not have made himself it's kind of more epic. the story today. <laughs> and and look, we Matt and I went to Rafael Nadal's press conference afterwards because they're unmissable. And Felix Auger Eliasine was scheduled to come into press immediately after Nadal, but Nadal's press went on quite a long time, particularly the Spanish portion. And obviously Auger Eliassine was, was sort of being being held up by that. And then midway through Nadal's press, it, it el was moved to room two, so they were happening simultaneously, and there weren't many journalists in Auger el press conference, and he was not asked about the Uncle Tony situation. Which, what, were either of them? No. And Nadal's English press was quite short, and I think, you know, given what had happened a couple of days ago, the feeling was, you know...
4: He's just going to close yeah.
3: it down, right? Yeah. Augelia seemed was the one to ask mm. about it for me, and I just assumed that we would get the chance to ask him, and unfortunately, um, that didn't transpire.
4: Pretty sure he would have shut it down as well, but it's maybe shame, it's shame not to hear it, isn't it.
3: I would be surprised if that relationship survives this,
4: personally. Mm. It'd be interesting. Yeah, it's... I hadn't thought about that, but maybe. I just thought, thought it will, but I... it,
3: It It might not end straight away, but I think the fatal blow has been struck.
4: Making progress, though.
3: Yeah. Well, the next question I have here is, is Felix, Andy Murray voice, getting closer?
4: I'd say he's getting closer.
2: Yeah, I think he is. I do. I you know, Nadal on Philippe Chatrier—that's that's an un, that's an experience unlike anything else. He thought and he thought he could win today, didn't he, he? He did. He he played really well, and I, I still don't think he's had a transcendent cut through moment, Felix. You know, no. for, for all that everyone in tennis has known about him for ages, and we've been interested in him as a player. I still feel like that moment is missing. And I think maybe beating Medford Ever Australia would have been it. This definitely would have been it today. And it it feels like he's on the cusp to me. And Chris Clary tweeted it, and we've certainly said it, Wimbledon. All eyes on Wimbledon, because he's shown that he can play on grass. There are lots of players around his age who haven't shown that they can play on grass. And honestly, I would back him against Pretty much everyone except Novak Djokovic, I think, at Wimbledon, based on the tennis we've seen from him in the biggest tournaments this year. I think I think his time is coming and he's, he is getting closer.
3: Very interesting. It, yeah, Felix on grass this year is something uh, I'm very keen to see. Four hours, 22 minutes is the downside. The foot not seeming to be a problem, despite playing four hours, 22 minutes, is a massive massive upside where do we stand on those four hours and 22 minutes and how it now bodes for the quarterfinal that he'll be playing in two days time spoiler alert against Novak Djokovic
4: it doesn't sound like ideal preparation to me uh to face that guy um I, I don't know I I think um I think him going straight sets and comfortable and full of energy I'd have I'd have been looking at Djokovic and the Dow more or less 50-50, maybe 51-49 for Djokovic. Now I'm I'm looking at it as
2: 60-40. I think the only counter argument is to some degree does it give him confidence that the foot held up? You know, he's going into a match knowing that a couple of days ago he played four and a half hours and the foot was fine rather than having the unknown. Of what it could of what could happen to the foot for the the first time he's properly tested, so I suppose you could look at it that way, but I do agree. I do think you know the ideal for Nadal was getting it down in a couple of hours today and being as fresh as possible um, but i didn't I personally didn't think he looked knackered in that press conference. I was maybe expecting him to, but compared to some of the press conferences we were in in Australia. I didn't think that today. Oh, it's, that's it, interesting.
3: It's because he went to the bed not too late. <laughs> I I asked him about his experience of uh, of watching the football last night because, you know, he's been a Madrid fan all his life. They've won fourteen Champions League titles. This is the first one he's been able to watch live because the finals always at a pretty pretty busy time of year for yeah, Nadal. Yeah. It's a it's it's real serendipity that that the final has been staged in Paris for for Nadal anyway. And he said, you know, said wonderful things about Real Madrid, picked out Courtois in particular, which I'm sure he'll be pleased about because he seems to have a chip on his shoulder about not being sufficiently appreciated, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, Nadal appreciates you. Um, and, uh, and he said that he made a... He said his only sadness about it, it was that he wasn't able to stay to watch the celebrations because he made the, the very regrettable decision to have to leave sort of at the final whistle. Right. Um, which he said, always oh, was because of the delays and everything. You know, he perhaps would have been able to stay to lap it all up. He said, I had to go to the bed. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Can, actually, I want to slightly row back on my sixty forty, because I've just suddenly had this vision of Nadal on Tuesday. And I think he might... So start the match looking like a different man. I think there could be steam coming out of his nostrils. I think he could be rampaging around that court.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I did have an image of, you know, we don't know whether that match is going to be day or night. That's such a big question still. But, you know, just imagine it's in the day, sun beating down, Nadal going on to court like he's playing his last ever match at Roland Garros, yeah. how do you stop that? Mm. And, I mean, I think
4: if anybody can, it is, it is Djokovic. If anyone can, it's Djokovic. But I, I, I think if I'm guilty of anything, and I mean I'm guilty of a lot because I think I've got one out of seven predictions right in the last <laughs> week, but more to the point, I think sometimes I'll see what happened two days ago and assume that's going to happen again. And actually maybe the, the the thought process really needs to be this is the bloke who wants 13 of these things. And on Tuesday, imagine how heightened his senses are going to be.
3: Just imagine mm. it. I still think it's so much about the scheduling. I do,
2: yeah, I do. Um,
3: and look, we we don't know. I, I think the the pulls in equal direction are pretty much balanced. We know what the players will be asking for. We know what the broadcaster, broadcasters will be asking for. And I think the tournament are just going to make a call. There were rumours circulating this evening that France TV reported that they think it's going to be a night session match. But that could just all be a power play from them to try and induce the tournament to not make it a night session match because they don't have the rights to that. I mean, I just, I don't think anyone knows yet.
2: Something that Nadal said in his Spanish portion of the press conference, maybe to try and you know, tug at the heartstrings and influence the powers at be. He said, you know, this line of, it could be my last ever match at Roland Garros. And, he, and he's saying that for absolutely legitimate reasons, because he doesn't know how this foot injury is going to play out over the next year. But he said, I don't want my last match at Roland Garros to be at night. That is, <laughs> that is not the Roland Garros I know. I think of Roland Garros during the day, and I... He said, I wanna play in the day. He made that so clear. That is quite powerful,
4: isn't it? It is. I mean, how
2: do you how do you go against that?
4: He doesn't even think there should be night sessions. Exactly.
3: Yeah.
4: Oof. I like the night sessions. Let's
2: uh, let's
3: cover off Djokovic. <laughs> let's cover off Jocol- Djokovic quickly. I mean in terms of the match against Diego Schwartzmann, it went exactly as predicted, didn't didn't it? There were there were moments I think in set two, Diego Schwartzman was was a break up and had opportunities for a double break. And Matt and I were watching it together, and Matt looked at the screen. He said, oh, "He'll need the double break because, as we said previewing this match, Diego Schwartzman gets broken routinely by Novak Djokovic. And yes, Schwartzman can break the Djokovic serve, but he's got to be doing it a lot to stand a chance. So it's not like it's not like one of those where." Djokovic gets broken and everyone goes, Oh, interesting, you know, eyes emoji on that one. You sort of go, Oh, he's probably gonna get broken right back, and and so it proved, you know, Djokovic's returns just just imperious today. What was interesting about the match was that Djokovic got booed onto the Suzanne Longland court, not universally, but loud enough to be heard and to be definitely distinguishable as as booze, and his name was also booed when it was mentioned by Fabrice Santoro in his interview with, uh, uh, by Alex Correcher rather in his interview with with Nadal on court tonight. That that could be a feature of of Tuesday's match. Certainly, you know, given the power of positive emotion for Rafael Nadal and you know the sprinkling of negativity. And there's a spr- there's
4: a sprinkling of no- nostalgia now about Nadal, oh, yes. isn't there? Because he's the fatigue is gone. People are now appreciating him while I've got him, and they know he's he's a little more vulnerable than he used to be, and that's appealing to people. I think that Djokovic, the last month or so, has been playing with a siege mentality, and and I'd, I I think his 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 mental approach at the moment he looks watertight to me. He looks so on it, so determined, and and those sort of things. I think. Initially, when he walked out, I think it did take him by surprise. I don't. I mean, he doesn't, and he doesn't like it. And I'm not surprised. I wouldn't like it either. But I also think that that steals him. He. We've seen it so many times. God, it's it, Tuesday. Come on, bring it on.
3: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Just a last note on <laughs> on scheduling. I asked Djokovic how he felt about being scheduled on on Longland today, and he all but said that he was offered the choice of night session on Chattrier or day session on. On long Len. I hope that's not sort of filling in too many blanks to say that. I feel like that was pretty much what what he said, um, which is interesting, isn't it? He did reference specifically his uh, opponent as a, as a feature of height. that decision. Schwartzman's height, basically, <laughs> he said. He said a higher bounce, a higher bounce would suit me better today, given given my opponent. But it's interesting that you know, if the opponent weren't Nadal. I think Djokovic would be absolutely fine about playing day session on Tuesday. I don't think he particularly loves the night session. It's just that it clearly disadvantages Nadal the most, so it's net mm, gain for yeah. Novak Djokovic.
4: cuz I think I don't think he'd want to play Alcaraz at night, you know, in the in especially having not seen Alcaraz <laughs> tonight. My god. That's a different kind of ball, isn't it? That he's playing against.
3: Yeah, I mean, slow conditions don't seem to affect Carlos Alcaraz. I'm not sure we're yet to establish what does affect Carlos Alcaraz. Um, He booked his place in the quarterfinals this evening via a a straight set bulldozing of Karen Hashinov, who I thought played one of the best matches I've ever seen from him. He he was really good. Yeah.
4: (laughs) He got duffed up and he was really good.
3: Yeah, I mean... Alcaraz brought the absolute best out of Karen Hatchinov and made a fool out of it. It was, it was, it was an exhibition tonight from Alcaraz. It was my,
4: my, quite extraordinary. I think my favourite bit was right at the end when Hachinov just clearly decided I've had enough of this. So I'm just going to hit my forehand as hard as I possibly can in a rally, and he hit two of them and he gave it an extra like when he hit it, and then another one like this, and then Alcaraz was like, "All right, and boom." <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was like a, a cosmic moment where this ball just set off and 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 Hachinov looked down the other end he was shaking his head he couldn't mm. he'd never
2: faced anything like that before was my was my read
3: can we talk about the tweener lob
2: was going to say that was my favorite moment the tweener lob yeah i mean on pit, break point in the third people set people were
4: jumping out the seats in front of me when when that happened
3: the thing about it i think is a, a tweener is something that we often bait, uh, debate in our newly renamed alcarazmatas chat because my brother math is not a fan of the tweener he thinks it is almost always not the most percentage shots shots to choose in in the situations in which it ends up being shown chosen and matt you think that, that he wasn't forced into playing that tweener lob this evening that Alcaraz did have the option to run around it i
2: think he pro- given how quick he is i think he can probably get around that but he maybe but he it, thought it was was the best choice but
3: but he somehow made it look percentage he did i mean the margins on it were just huge so good it, looked, at it. it yeah. looked completely repeatable i would back him to make that shot 9 times out of 10 which is absurd <laughs> that should be a that should be a 2 out of 10 shot he max. Hit,
4: he hits that as well as manso barami hits it <laughs> I mean, yeah, seriously.
3: I think you ran back to it a little bit quicker than. Well, yeah,
4: <laughs> but I mean, Matson Bram <laughs> has made Sambaram. it a party trick that he can go back and he can always, always make that shot and put it on the baseline. But to do it in a match against that guy, who's six foot
3: six, come on! It was funny, wasn't it, seeing the handshake? Because, as you say, Alcaraz had just bruised him up for three sets, and then they go and shake hands, and Hashinov's towering over him, and suddenly he looks like a little boy, and you're like. How have you just done that? It, it's, I mean, the commentators once again this evening they were laughing mid mid rally. It was, yeah, you you end up resorting to noises rather than words.
4: Mm. Best analysis, the best analogy I've heard still is uh, Millie's the the superhero discovering his powers. That was perfect to me because when when he's playing like he was tonight, it's it's uh, he's, he's like he's looking at his hands as if say. Wow, let's <laughs> check out what I can do.
3: That doesn't sound great for Alexander Zverev, does it? Because it seems that he's discovered even more powers since he bruised Zverev up in the uh, in the Madrid final, which wasn't that long ago. That is Zverev's favourite tournament, the one that he plays best at. I know Alcaraz played brilliantly there too, but I, I just cannot see any way that Zverev is competitive in that match unless Alcaraz... Has an off day.
4: I think he'd be better than Madrid because because. I mean, he was off it, He'll it was have proper, at least proper terrible. preparation. He can't have any excuses this time, can he? Because he, he mowning, certainly can't. He was manning no. about the, the late nights, mm. wasn't he that yeah. day?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I think he'll get more than what what was it? Four games he got in Madrid. I think. Yeah. But I, I think Alcaraz in straight sets. Yeah, mm. which I think essentially can... is the same. Really, I, mean, I think
4: the truth is, is not played. I mean he's he's nearly lost sets or and he's nearly lost matches this week. Um He was
3: very pushed in all well certainly two out of the three sets today against um the man that we're lovingly called Ber- calling Bernie. That's <laughs> David's uh, and the actual David's name. Way
2: out. The actual name is Bernabe Zapata Mirayes. So mm. you can see
4: why I'm calling him Bernie.
3: Um, yeah, first two sets were extremely close, particularly the first one, which had a, an epic tie break. Many, many set points for both players. And then and then you thought, well, I say you thought, I certainly thought after that that Zapata Marais would fall off in the second set, but he kept his challenge right up and made that yeah. extremely close as well. I think Zverev, like me, was sort of expecting him to go away and he just didn't. And I'm looking at the screen and I'm thinking... How is Zverev the the less aggressive player in this matchup? How is Zverev in the deeper court position most of the time, and he's actually really good at it. He's a far better defensive player than he has any right to be with his style of play and stature. Yeah, I but agree. he's be, too good at it. But but yeah, being good at the defensive stuff. I don't think he's actually helping his overall well, result.
4: That's not going to get the job done it, against an no. Alcaraz at full power. Put it that way. I th- I actually think he he could win a set. I, I I could see him losing in four, but I could also see him losing in three and I don't see any other result other than those two. I uh,
3: I think if Alcaraz plays anywhere near um the level that we've seen, I, I can't even see how Zverev gets a set, but No. We shall see.
2: Zverev is the only player, it seems, and certainly from his press conference, that is getting a bit sick of Alcaraz already. Like, I feel like a lot of the <laughs> other players are quite pally with him, kind of. You know, you see Hachov at the end there. They, they maybe that's just Hachinov. his reflected
3: glow, don't they? Zverev wants to run away from his reflected glow. Yeah,
2: I mean, he's he was chippy, wasn't he, about mm. the court assignments and the fact that. Well, he said he's preparing to play Alcaraz at night in that quarterfinal because he, he basically said the whole tournament's revolving around Alcaraz and it's kind of obvious who the who the tournament wants to win and it's Alcaraz and he's the centre of attention. He's getting the night matches. He's getting the big staging. And yeah, he's, he's annoyed by that, Zverev. But it's very, very tough to argue with any of the assignments that Alcaraz has got. You know, he is... He is the star. He's a much bigger star than Zverev at the moment.
3: Zverev hasn't been assigned to Simon Maturi. He's been been on one of the top two courts every every match. And Alcaraz has played on Simon Maturi. I mean, yeah.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
4: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
3: Let's move on to the women's draw, <laughs> uh, which has also been... Brilliant today, and we've got two quarterfinals set up from the bottom half of the draw that I my mouth is watering for, quite frankly. Sloane Stevens has decided to do the thing which we always know she can do, but so relatively rarely seems to do, and that is be effortlessly brilliant. For the second time this tournament, she's won twelve games in a row in a match. And 24 of 27 points in the second set to beat Jill Teichman, 6-2, 6-love. I mean...
2: My assumption uh, was Tykeman's injured when when yeah. I was hearing that <laughs> Snow Stevens was winning these games consecutively, and in particular those points. And Hannah, who was watching the match, just said, oh, no, she's she's absolutely fine, <laughs> but... She's getting beaten like a drum, was was how Hannah put it. Because Stevens was just in that, just in that mode where she she can kind of do that to anyone when she's on, it's and
3: make it look just effortless. disgustingly easy. She actually had to uh, apologise to the Jill Teichman fans in her post match interview. Did Sloane Stevens? Because we discussed two days ago, didn't we, how how taken we were with the Teichman support. She had her own, she had her own singing section going on you know seriously animated support and Slade stevens had to apologize to them all personally <laughs> she said i really like jill <laughs>
2: <laughs> we all like jill yeah
3: <laughs> well i've
4: dealt that out to her
3: um I, I i feel so torn because i just love to see it i love to see Slade stevens play that, like this she's she's a dream but i also still don't trust it because because you just can't you've you've, you've got you've put to put your fingers in the fire too many times you've and, kind of
4: you've just got to take it round at a time mm, i mean, you and I'm not en- very good at that enjoy it on its merits because mm. i mean it's true she she and she won't know either look i mean there's there are some players who you can put your house on that they're going to deliver their best stuff in a big match she isn't one of them she never has been she never will be I don't think but she can do it and when she does it, it's worth it.
3: She She's one of those that, a bit like Naomi Osaka in this way, is, as a tournament goes on, she's less and less likely to let you down. Now that she's into the quarterfinals, I do feel slightly surer of her that she at least won't throw in a stinker. You know, I think she will be competitive at, at the very least in her quarterfinal, which will be against Coco Gauff.
4: That could be a great he's spe- match. He's
3: speaking of somebody that delivers and feels reliable. Coco Goff is starting really yeah. to feel like that person.
4: Mentally particularly, I think. She's uh, she's just such a good competitor um, and wired that way, I think. I mean, I think her bigger issue is technical, uh, or, or it has been. I think may, may, maybe on clay because she has more time on the forehand, it's less of an issue. And I haven't haven't heard about too many double fault problems this fortnight. But um whereas Sloane Stevens doesn't appear to have any technical issues. It's just that sometimes she doesn't really turn up. I don't think you get that with Coco Goff. So potentially I, I, I don't want, I just I think this could be a really great match.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And Chris Clary again said today that the tennis Coco Goff played at the end of the first set, start of the second set was the best he's ever seen from her. Oh, really? And It was it was a bit of a funny match because it was against Elise Mertens and the the first set was a real tussle, you know.
3: Fifty seven minutes
2: the first set. Goff kept breaking and then Mertens would just break back straight away and she didn't she wasn't quite able to accelerate ahead, it was a bit edgy. But then the end of the set she just raised her game and then she flew through the second set really, really quickly. And like you say, I do think the clay is a great surface for golf. She's a junior champion here. She reached the quarterfinals last year. She does have that extra time on the ball. Her defence seems to work really well on this surface. She can also inject pace with her backhand. And, yeah, she hasn't dropped a set all all tournaments. And, yeah, I I mean, her biggest miss of the day was actually not knowing the uh, Billie Jean King pressure said that pressure is a privilege. She said I don't know who said that but but I like it.
3: <laughs> I reckon someone's told her who said that and she'll so. she'll now never forget. Mm-hmm. Um I asked her a couple of questions in her in her post match press conference. Um, I asked her how Matt had tipped me off about something Jessica Pagula had said about Coco Golf a couple of days ago and sort of indicating that there'd been chatter in the locker room, particularly among the Americans, about how much the drawer had opened up. So I asked her about that, you know, how conscious she's been of, you know, I, I'm, I referenced the fact that from the outside, so many of the matches had felt so loaded because of, you know, the amount of opportunity there is. And I said, is it it felt that way to you? How conscious have you been of that opportunity? And she kind of said, she didn't deflect. She said kind of, yes and no. You know, I'm I'm, aw- I'm aware of the seeds that have lost. But she said, I don't really see it in terms of opportunity anymore. But she said, a year ago I did. And she referenced the quarterfinal that she lost a year ago. And she said she was particularly bummed about losing that quarterfinal because she felt like she could have beaten the players left in the in the semi-final she was looking ahead and thinking oh but you know it was such an opportunity because so many of the top names had lost and she basically said that I mean part of it is her own maturation and and evolution you know she's she's still only 18 but she also said the US Open last year changed her mindset and changed a lot of players mindsets about what's possible and what counts as opportunity, because of Radicarni, because of Radicarni and Fernandez right um, and that was really fascinating, and of course, mm. why wouldn't it why Why wouldn't that make pretty much anyone believe that things are possible so she she was kind of like what seemed like opportunity what, yeah, re, re, redefines opportunity really doesn't w- it? was
4: it critique of her Beta last year? French yes. mm. uh, yeah. Because and I, I seen her was that a good match? Can't remember now. I got a feeling there was a good set because mm. I, I, I definitely, I've been waiting for a breakthrough, and I feel like I mean, like I've put, I've put her in the final uh, at the outset of the tournament because I just think she's gonna get there. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want it to be the one where I don't pick her.
3: <laughs> mm that was that was the philosophy that got me picking Paolo Badosa for s- sort of six consecutive weeks in March and April. <laughs> yep. Anyway, anyway, look, look I, I think you could be onto something David. I'm I'm very excited about all all four semi-finalists, all, all four course finalists that we have in this, this this section of the draw quite frankly. We've got we got Goff against Steve Stevens. We've got Leila Fernandez playing fellow lefty Martina Trevisan. Oh, that'll be interesting. In the quarters, Trevisan Ale- defeated Alexander Sasnovich in uh, straight sets, a match that was all about the first set tie-break. I was laughing out loud watching that first set tie-break. It, it just started to feel silly. <laughs> because, like, D- does anybody want to win this? Uh,
4: just squandering
2: opportunity. <sighs>
3: it, it, That's harsh. It, but or just
2: getting it snatched it, from them. Or... I mean, to me, it was the perfect example of how tennis doesn't have to be the highest quality mm. to still be a great watch, mm. you know, because there was a lot of tension and they, they weren't playing their best tennis in that tie break, either player, but I was gripped by yeah. it. You it, know, I was, I was, was trying to get out to, I was trying to get out to Anisimova Fernandez, but I said, right, I'll go after this tiebreak. break. I don't, I don't want to miss this. <laughs> and it was, yeah. And normally though, Trevisan is the opposite. She's really consistent and steady and, Tough I think to that's beat. what was funny about it. Wasn't because it? it was because she was like, Who opposite? have I
3: become? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> she lost her tennis identity <laughs> yeah. and yet still managed to win the tiebreak. And I must say, you know, she she, she lit up that pretty dour op- se- September, October French Open, you know, 18, 20 months ago by reaching the quarterfinals. Here it was such a great run, and I. You know, I sort of thought that might be it. You know, I sort of thought we might never get a run like this again from her, and mm. for her to back back it mm. up, and she's really not had many wins since that Roland Garros. It was only really in Rabat last week. And even in that tournament, she was down a set and a break to Muguruza. And then we inspired her. We inspired her to victory by watching. And <laughs> she's now on a, what, nine-match winning streak, I think.
3: I put on our group chat with Hannah, is, is Martina Trevisan the French Open's Fitana Poronkova? And that message got no love whatsoever, no, and I, th- I think it deserved more. It was
4: just timing, Catherine, because I actually think that's really good. Mm. Um, who was the other one who did well at that French Open that I haven't heard of virtually since?
3: i forgotten. That. Oh, it's um, extremely vague, David. I, I know
2: exactly. Do you know, I, uh, despite it being extremely vague, I know exactly who you mean. You mean Nadia Podoroska? Oh, yes, you I do. do. <laughs> I do mean Nadia Podoroska. I can't remember your name, but that's <laughs> what I mean. Um,
4: do you know
3: where she is, Matt? What she's up to?
4: don't no. know. She's in this tournament. <laughs> um, we'll come back to you, folks, when we've figured it out in a day or so. Um, tr- just on Trevisan, she was the player who revealed. Some some uh, some heartfelt news wasn't wasn't it a, a few years ago about struggling with anorexia? I, I mm. recall and 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 how and, and I remember us talking about what an uplifting story hers was a, a, about how she would come through that and here she was, you know, in this incredible position. And uh, yeah, I, I I do like watching her.
3: And she'll play a fairly fairly lefty. I never what to never know what to expect. From lefties playing one another. I think the lefties don't like playing other lefties. That's If I've learned anything from Greg Rzedzki, I think it might be that. They like to feel special.
4: Fernandez was talking lefties, about that in, in the press because she was asked about that and she just said, you know, it's so rare. She said exactly mm. that. You know, I don't, I don't really get to do this. So I got the sense she was kind of excited about it.
3: She, her, her personality engulfed Philippe Chatrier today in that match against Amanda Anisimova she she, she she for this tiny little person and she really is she she feels a she feels a stadium it she's she's just a force of nature she's yeah. really incredible I I love to watch her she's magnetic I find Anisimova's game magnetic but it was like she was overtaken by the the force of personality of Leila Fernandez today it was it was a good match that, wasn't it? I, I it could have been that bit better. Um but Fernandez is too good and exposed the, the the problem with Anisimova is that she does have a weakness that against players like Leila Fernandez she's not able to to adhere to Carrillo's law.
2: She doesn't hide that weakness. She doesn't hide that weakness. Yeah, and I thought David put it really well when we were watching that match in that Anissimova doesn't have spring in her legs and in her movements, And she's a fantastic ball striker. When she's in position, you trust her to hit the perfect shot. One of the best. One of the best. And yet, if you can get her out of position and get her moving, she's much more vulnerable. And that is kind of what Fernandez. Did because she was able to read the Anisimova game, I think, and so often be in the right place to get the ball back and just put it in an awkward spot. And Anisimova, certainly for the first portion of the match, looked a bit sluggish and almost a little bit cumbersome compared to Fernandez, who was intense and behind every ball and ready for the next point. Even if it was a really lengthy point that they would just played, and Anissimova wasn't quite. There was a difference in physicality I, th- I felt between the players. Even though you know Fernandez is, as you said, this tiny little thing, and she's so strong physically. And I just felt like, and I I tweeted this. You know, I was sitting on the Philippe Chatrier Stadium, and there's this quote, isn't there, on on the court now, which is. Victory belongs to the most tenacious. And look, I, I'm not sure it's the most amazing quote <laughs> I've ever heard. But, I I, kind of, but if it's true, like that it. bodes
3: but well for Leila Fernandez quite, in ha, this tournament. How
2: fitting would it be if Leila yeah. Fernandez because would be it, the one who won the French Open when that quote mm. has been put well, I c- there? I can
4: imagine her looking up
2: at that every point I'm And thinking, thinking, that's me. And thinking, right, yeah. come on then, yeah. let's, she, let's have her, this. Her tenacity Do you think she looks is unmatched.
3: In press conferences, she looks up at moves the lines with style <laughs> and thinks, yeah. Yeah, I'm no. She looks by up that. at it
2: and thinks, "What the bloody hell's
3: is that?" That is right, <laughs> isn't it? Move the lines with style.
2: That is yeah. their other Actually, slogan. Yeah,
4: just on Fernandez, very quickly. I think if anybody could face Schreier and truly believe that they will win, mm. I think it's she her. would not even question that she's mm. going to win. She would just march in there and say, "Right then, you're going to deal with
3: me." And that's what I want from the finals. Sort of, regardless who it is or what wins, I want someone to well I mean ev- every match but you know for for, for a final assuming Chiantic can, gets there I know I know matches to be played and all that but I just want it to be someone that walks onto the court and isn't defeated before they walk out there
4: there's actually quite a few in that half. I, th- I would back Stevens, Goff and Fernandez to believe that Yeah, I yeah. That and,
3: and I'd back Jung tomorrow to, to, to believe that
2: I agree and I think Jung Goff and Fernandez. it's it's the fearlessness of youth it's the lack of baggage it's all of that with Stevens it's kind of the opposite mm. it's because she knows she can do it she's been a grand slam champion herself and drawing on that experience there's a lot you know that, that you're right it really feels like Film text tournament to lose but there are a lot of players who I think aren't feeling like that. And mm. that's what makes it exciting.
3: What have we got tomorrow? We start on Philippe Chatrier with Veronica Kudermetova against Madison Keys. That's from midday, of course. Then, of course, Holger Rune against Stefanos Tsitsipas. What a run Rune is on, by the mm. way. Talk about backing up recent form and carrying it in to a Grand Slam. Usually what happens when young players start to make breakthrough at tour level, there's a bit of a lag on them doing it at Slam level, isn't there? But he's really carried it through uh then it's Shvantec against Jung third match of the days so of the final day session match then the night session tomorrow Marin Cilic against Daniil Medvedev over on Longlen is Daria Kasatkina against Camilla Georgi lost fewer games this tournament than Shvantec really wow. yeah, she is in some form
4: that's a really interesting match just because of such a clash of stars, you've got the the butterfly with the style and the spins and the angles up against the the bludgeoning force of of, um, of Georgie, and I I just I just want would quite like to watch that. I don't know whether I can because of my commitments, but I really would. I'm curious.
3: 11 a.m. David in your favourite oh. seats in the world.
4: Oh, is it? Mm. I oh, mean, okay, it is well.
3: 13 minutes past one right now, so that's sort of. Nine and three quarter hours away. Well, I've but... got to be
4: there for, for, for 10 for for the press conference. That no, only. no, it that's, that's been postponed. moved. Oh, is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. When's that? <laughs> that's uh, now Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, right. Okay.
3: <laughs> Sorry, listeners, you've just listened to us diarising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rude against Hercatch follows Kazakina Georgie, and then Pagula Begu followed by Rublev against Sinner, The um, the sort of computer game ping pong yeah. ping pong session and that's it for your singles tomorrow there's uh kudamatova and mertens in doubles action they're the second seeds um there are some other interesting pairings in the doubles aren't there
4: there's the goff one isn't there because she's not playing with mcnally now
3: yeah and there's retired sam stoser playing <laughs> playing with the uh, playing mixed doubles with matt ebden Uh, there's the juniors going on as well I keep seeing junior names popping up and thinking oh is that someone that you know I need to know about for the future but we'll wait we'll wait for the juniors to go through a few more rounds before we start um, tipping you off about names to take note of for the future so that's tomorrow day nine of Roland Garros 2022 just just one final thing to flag up from that order of play that makes it That'll be the eighth night session of the tournament and there will have been one women's match um, in the night session. There's obviously two more to come after Monday. Wednesday is the final night session. So we'll do the final tally and review then. But it's not looking good. (laughs) It's not looking good for equality right now. Um, We have our mascots, David. What would you like to say?
4: I'd like to say, Darwin, we did it. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> us, us and
4: Novak Djokovic, <laughs> together. I, I, I mean, I, I actually, the funny thing is, remember my initial pick last night? It was Jill mm. Tightman.
2: <laughs> yeah, I ended up with that.
4: <laughs> I, I had Jill Tightman to beat Sloan Stevens and then I just said, actually, can I change that to Novak Djokovic? <laughs> David I just, said,
3: I want to know what a win feels like. I genuinely I genuinely tell us how it feels, I d- David. i just
4: relieved. I just felt I felt like
3: you're Andy Murray US Open 2012 I'm
4: Dominic Team, who's searching for a win I'm Vincent Spadia (laughs) (laughs) you've just beaten Greg Rosetsky and I've gone down to futures level in order to try to just just feel a win
3: Mm.
2: what what have you gone for tomorrow have I done it yeah you've you've gone for Kasachina of course I I have go on strong David strong
3: Um, I uh, who did I go for today
2: uh, Coco Golf, I think.
3: I went for Coco Goff and that went brilliantly. You're welcome, Carter. We're going strong. We're second. We're second in the standings. Matt, you and Gerald. Yeah, how he, how did you honour his memory today? Tightman oh, disaster.
2: Okay. Lost twelve games in a row. <laughs> She's blaming you.
3: We uh, we have our lovely Roland Garros mascot Cooper, who doesn't have to be disgraced on a daily basis. Bio predictions. Cooper sits above all of that.
4: Yeah, he's just watching.
3: Yes, thank you, Cooper, for being our mascot. Billie Jean uh, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Our executive producers and top blokes are Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. Who are our shout outs for, Matt?
2: We have Ali Shacklady in Guildford. Right, Ali?
3: Oh, Guildford. That's nearish me.
4: Like Ali Risk. Sort of? Yes, although this
2: is a double Okay, so it could be Alistair.
3: I don't think... Is that a thing? Al- it
2: could be any of these <laughs> things. It could just be Ali. Hang on,
3: I'm going to settle this once and for all. It's like Ali McBeal, folks.
2: Right. Yes. Okay. Mm. And this Ali says, Massive, massive Nadal fan. Aww. So, good day.
3: We bumped into a Nadal fan um, listener... Yes. Um, As we were on the way out, um, she ran afterwards and breathlessly introduced herself and said how chuffed she was to meet us, which was lovely. And um, she said, what a great day she had. She said, I'm a big Nadal fan. And and we asked, you know, it was the first time she'd seen him. And we said, did you enjoy it? And she said, yes, it was everything I hoped for and more. And that was, it it was was lovely. Really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Ali.
2: We also have Sally Ann Dunn from Tunbridge Wells.
3: Hey. Hello, Sally Ann.
2: Hi, right, Sally Ann. Sally Ann's favourite players were John Newcomb and Yvonne Gulagong.: Oh, good choices.
3: Great choices. Yeah. Do we think Sally Ann is Australian?
4: I think there's a chance.
3: Let us know. Yeah. Or just a big fan of Australians, an Australiophile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sally Ann. Yeah.
2: And finally, we have Vicky Spreadbury. Oh, we know we Vicky. Know Vicky. Yeah. Um, she's in Cambridgeshire, and she's also asked for a bonus shout out for her mum, Chrissy, who is a big tennis fan, a big podcast fan, and a big Catherine fan.
0: Oh,
3: oh you lovely. sure can! Hello, Chrissy. <laughs> what a gone. great, what a great name for a tennis fan.
4: Apparently she can't. She can't stand David.
3: (laughs) Anyway, uh, Chrissy. That's just implicit. Hello,
4: Chrissy, and hello, um, Vicky. Thank you so much. And uh, is it bedtime? (laughs)
3: It's time for the bed, David. Time for the bed. Hey, we'll be back tomorrow with another daily podcast. Uh, Subscribe to the newsletter. Become a friend of the pod if you'd like to make sure uh, we're at future French Opens and other Grand Slams as well. Of course, we're loving doing these shows. So thank you so much for making them happen. We'll be back with another one of these tomorrow.